0: Good morning. I am Josh. I am one of the pastors here. Glad that that you guys are with us uh, here today. We are, as Nate just said, we're going to be in the book of Colossians today. Colossians is one of my favorite books uh, in the entire Bible, and we're going to be camping in chapter 3 and verses 12 through 17. If you've been around here, you know that we are currently uh, working through a series in what we're calling spiritual formation. Now, it's kind of a weird term. A lot of us don't know exactly what that means, but here's what we mean by spiritual formation. We mean that if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is forming you. God is making you. God is remaking you into the image and into the likeness of Christ by his Holy Spirit who lives within you. He is making you into what it means to be truly and fully human. See, we believe as Christians that Jesus of Nazareth shows us what it means to be truly and fully human. He shows us the life that we were created for. And we also believe that God, by his grace, is changing us into the likeness of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the truth is, you might not have ever thought about it that way. You might not even consider yourself a religious person. But the fact is, that is what we all want. It's actually what we all hunger for deep down. Whether you're religious or not, whether you would articulate it that way or not, this is what we all desire. We all know that we are not what we ought to be. And we all long deep within ourselves to be something more couple of weeks, uh, my kids are going to dress up for Halloween, and they are really excited this year, uh, because this year they get to be the PJ Masks, we got a picture of them up here, they are are fired up about being the PJ PJ Masks are like this cartoon, so you might not know who they are, that's okay, that's not the point, the point is, they're dressed up like superheroes, because they want to be more, just like my brother and me dressed up like superheroes when we were kids, I don't have any pictures of that today, thankfully, but we... When I grew up in, in western New York. I grew up outside of Buffalo, New York, which means two things. Which means, number one, I'm rooting for the Bills today. Sorry, Colts fans. And which means, number two, that we actually got real snow in the wintertime. And so there would be all of these snow banks just piled up all over the place, piled up in our front yard. And I remember as a kid getting up on the railing overlooking my parents' deck and doing swan dives into the snow bank because I wanted to fly like Superman. From the earliest age, we want to be more, we want to be something better. And the truth is, thankfully, uh, that most of us don't go around wearing tights and a cape dressed up like superheroes anymore. But we still dream of being more, don't we? I mean, that's why we work hard in school. That's why we work hard in our job for that dream job. That's why we hit the gym. That's why we read those books. That's why we buy the products that we buy. Yesterday, I was watching Alabama put a beating on Tennessee uh, and this this commercial came on for the Apple Watch. And at the very end of this commercial for the Apple Watch, it said this, it said, there's a better you in you. There's a better you in you. Now listen, I am not hating on the Apple Watch. I'm not hating on you if you're wearing an Apple Watch. We're not burning our Apple Watches after the service. So take a breath, we're going to be okay. But the truth is, Apple, and it's not just Apple, but but anyone, when they sell you something, they're trying to sell you something, and they're trying to sell you more than a product. They're trying to sell you a vision that they can make you what you were always meant to be for the right price. Fact is, we all want that. We all want to be more. That is the fundamental human quest. We know that we were made to be more part of that is good and right. Because as human beings created in the image of God, we should work hard to develop. We should work hard to cultivate the capacities that God has given us. But there's a dark side of this as well. Because for many of us, we are doing these things because we're trying to prove ourselves. We're doing these things because we're trying to prove our worth. We're trying to prove ourselves to our parents. We're trying to prove ourselves to our spouse. We're trying to prove ourselves to our future spouse. We're trying to prove ourselves to our social media circles. We're trying to prove ourselves to ourselves. We're trying to prove ourselves to God. Because at the core of who we are, we know that there is something deeply broken. We know that there is something irreparably wrong. And no new job, no new relationship, no new diet, no new gadget, no new religion is ever gonna make it right. That is true for every single one of us. And the good news is that that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us the life that we were created for. The book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What that means is that he shows us perfectly what God is like but it also means that he shows us perfectly what humanity was meant to be as human beings who have been created in the image of god who have been created to know and love and reflect god jesus shows us what the fully human life is like and the really good news is that he didn't just come to show us that he came to make that a reality for us he is making us he is forming us into his image he is making us like himself he is making us fully human and fully alive and we need him to do that for us because here's the fundamental problem the fundamental problem is that our sin has separated us from God we want to live life on our own terms we want to be our own gods and because of that we have cut ourselves off from God and we have cut ourselves off from the true life that's found in him The book of Colossians says that Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to make peace between us and God, to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we deserve to die, to rise again conquering sin and death so that he can bring us to God. Now, if you've been here around Soma, you know we talk about that every week here at Soma. But but I'm afraid, I'm afraid that sometimes we stop there. I'm afraid that sometimes we talk about that reality and we sing about that reality and we confess that reality, but we don't experience that reality in our day to day lives. And that is why we're doing this series on spiritual formation. Because we want to experience the life-giving, life-changing power of Jesus. We want to experience the ways that the gospel changes everything. We want to experience the truly human life that God created us for, that Jesus died for, that the Holy Spirit empowers us for. Book of Colossians, Jesus, or Paul says, Jesus has come to reconcile you to God through his life, death, and resurrection, and now he is making you a people who reflect him, a people who are fully alive in him. So the question that we need to ask then is what does that look like? What does it look like to live this fully human life that God has created us to live? And that's what we're gonna see in Colossians chapter three. What we're gonna see is that it means practicing the way of Jesus together. Very intentional. You see, I've got it highlighted there. Practicing the way of Jesus together. We were very intentional as we were starting out this series, as we were mapping out this series, about saying that that spiritual formation following Jesus is not something just that I do. And it's not just something that you do. And it's not something we do in isolation. We practice the way of Jesus together. Because the truth is that if, if you read the Bible, you realize God isn't just reconciling isolated individuals to himself. And he's not just changing the lives of isolated people. He is making us into a new people. We, we read it earlier, Ephesians 2. He is creating one new humanity. He is building a new family. And all of us together are becoming like Jesus. If you go all the way back to the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, God, the community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creates human beings in his image after his likeness as communal creatures. And so part of God restoring us to what he created us to be is recreating us in the context of community. Because the truth is that your story is not just your story. And my story is not just my story. Our stories are part of a larger story. They're part of a story about how God is recreating humanity, how he is building a new human family, and how he wants us to experience change together. I love the way Paul Tripp says it. Paul Tripp says, what we become, we become together. What we become, we become together. And that's so countercultural for us. Because think about it, from the earliest age, what are we taught? We're taught, we are the authors of our own story. I choose my identity. I define who I am. And then I go out and build an identity for myself on my terms, in my way. The Bible tells us something better. The Bible tells us that we don't have to prove ourselves That we don't have to try to earn an identity, that God has given us an identity by his grace. That he has given us an identity as children of a loving father. That he has given us an identity of brothers and sisters of Jesus whom he loved so much that he died for. That we receive an identity as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the very power and presence of God. And we receive an identity as a new family with a new father and with new brothers and sisters. So what does that look like? What is that new family? What is this, this new community intended to look like? And let's not just get too ethereal. What is this faith family supposed to look like? What is Jesus' vision for this community of his followers? Colossians 3, we're going to see four things that God calls us into in this passage. He calls us to be a family motivated by the love of Christ. Second, he calls us to be a family ruled By the peace of Christ third a family filled with the Word of Christ and fourth a family that reflects the glory of Christ motivated by the love of Christ ruled by the peace of Christ filled with the Word of Christ reflecting the glory of Christ first a family motivated by the love of Christ Colossians 3 verse 12 put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If we're going to practice the way of Jesus together, then we've got to be a people who are motivated by the love of Christ. And Do you notice in this passage, Paul begins by reminding us of the grace of God. He starts out reminding us who we are in Christ. Look, look at verse 12, look who we are. He says, put on then as what? First, you are God's chosen ones. We're not followers of Jesus because there's something special about us. We're not followers of Jesus because because we're better than anyone else or smarter than anyone else or more moral than anyone else or more deserving than anyone else. We're followers of Jesus because God has reached down and saved us and called us by his grace and by his grace brought us to himself. We're his chosen ones. Second, he says, you are holy. You're holy. The the word holy in the scriptures simply means set apart. Set apart. God has taken us, and he has set us apart for himself. We haven't made ourselves holy. We haven't earned it. If you look in the scriptures, anytime God makes something holy, he does it by his grace. He takes it. He rescues it. He sets it apart for for himself. We're chosen. We're holy. Third, he says, we're beloved. We are the recipients of God's lavish love, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because God is a gracious and loving Father who loves to pour out his love on us. God's grace comes first. We don't do these things to try to make ourselves holy and beloved. We do these things because we are already holy and beloved. God loved us when we were completely unworthy. And that enables us to love other people even when they are completely unworthy. God's love is the motivation for our love. God's love compels us to love one another. So Paul starts with that, and then he says, now, in light of that, in light of the love of God, this is how you should live. Look what he calls us to put on, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience he says god has loved you this way in christ and since now we don't have time to read all this but colossians 3 1 since you are united with christ since you are raised up with christ keep that same mindset have that same attitude toward one another that's what it means to practice the way of jesus together as a community we adopt the heart of christ toward one another As Jesus has been compassionate toward us, we are compassionate toward one another. As Jesus has shown kindness to us when we were completely undeserving, we show kindness to others who don't deserve it. As Jesus humbled himself, as Jesus lowered himself, as he took the form of a slave, as he died in our place, we humble ourselves, we die to ourselves so that we can live for the good of one another. As Jesus was characterized by meekness, by gentleness, as he laid down his rights to give us the right to be children of God, we lay down our rights for each other. Jesus is patient with us. Jesus refuses to give up on us. And as he is patient with us, we are patient with one another. We refuse to give up on each other. We refuse to walk out on each other because God refuses to walk out on us. That's why we bear with one another. Look at verse 13, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgive as he's forgiven us. And verse 14, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together together in perfect harmony love is the defining characteristic of a christian john 13 35 jesus says this he says by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another that's what it means that's what it means to practice the way of jesus together it means forgiving each other it means loving each other as god has loved us that sounds really good doesn't it That is probably the most uncontroversial statement that I could make. Let's all love each other. Let's all forgive each other. That sounds so wonderful. Anybody can agree with that. But I want to remind you how Jesus loved us. Think about how Jesus loved us. He didn't just love us with some mushy kind of sentimental love. His love led him to action. His love led him to serve. His love led him to die. His love led him to empty himself and die in our place. His love was a costly love. See, love is not mere sentimentality. It is not warm, fuzzy emotions. It is not defined simply by how I feel in the moment. It is defined by how we act toward real flesh and blood human beings. That's why Paul says here, put these things on. Put these things on because why? Because this doesn't just happen naturally. This week, I was, I was trying to prepare this message, and a bunch of things just kept coming up that were taking me away from it. And I, I remember distinctly, Thursday morning, so on Thursday morning, my, my wife leads a, a, a program in here called Tales and Tunes for Kids. She wanted me to give a PSA for it, uh, a program in here called Tales and Tunes for Kids. And so I'm scrambling and getting my kids ready, and I'm trying to brush their teeth, and I'm trying to get them dressed, and I'm trying to keep them from sticking their tongues in the light sockets and all of these different things. I'm just trying to get them out the door. And, and I was being so short with them. I was being so impatient with them. And I remember thinking, why can't these kids just hurry up and do what they're supposed to do so I can get to my sermon on patience? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's the thing, like, I can talk about it. I can talk about kindness and compassion and patience. I can, I can admit, yeah, I should be a kind, compassionate, patient person. But am I actually compassionate and kind and patient toward the actual people in my life? This needs to be worked out in the context of real relationships. Can I say this? This is why we encourage you to connect to a missional community here at Soma. Because we can come in here on Sunday morning and we can smile and we can hold it together for an hour and a half, but we need to be in each other's lives, we need to be loving each other on a consistent basis. This is also why we practice covenant membership here at SOMA. Because you can say you are compassionate about some amorphous group of people out there. You can love the idea of the church. You can love the idea of the people of God. That's easy. Anybody can do that. Anybody can love when you're not committed. There is no cost in that. And anybody can love the people who are just like them. Anybody can love the people who never rub them the wrong way. Anybody can love the people who never disagree with them. But that's not what the church is. I love what Michael Horton says about the church. He says, a church is not a group of friends that you've picked. It's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for you. So let me ask you, and let me ask me, Can we love the real flesh and blood brothers and sisters that God has picked for us? Everybody loves the idea of love until you got to love someone who annoys you. Everybody loves the idea of forgiveness until there's actually something to forgive. It is easy to be patient with the people who never test your patience. If we are not careful, I am terrified of this because we talk so much about community in in our day and age. If we are are not careful, we will fall into the trap of what I call consumerist community. You know what I mean by that? I mean, we become consumers of community. We're not really committed to actual people. We're simply committed to the idea of community. And many of us go bouncing from community to community. Community. From church to church, from relationship to relationship, we shop around endlessly for the idealized community, and we never find it. And in the end, we end up cutting ourselves off from the possibility of knowing deeply and being known truly. It kind of reminds me of my own personal relationship with Netflix. Um, I, maybe I'm the only one who does this, I don't know. But, but here's what I do when I pull up. I will fire up Netflix, and I will just Scroll. And I, will scroll, and I will scroll, and I will scroll through my watch list. Okay, none of that looks good. And I will scroll through all the suggestions. No, and I will go through every single genre they have to offer, and nothing's good. So I flip over to Amazon Prime, and I do the same thing over there, and, and after about an hour, I'll go to bed. And I, I believe, I truly believe, that I have spent more time scrolling Netflix than actually watching Netflix. But the truth is, that's how many of us approach community we're always looking for something always searching but we never find it and the reason that we never find it is because we never commit to anything so let me just encourage you this goes against the grain of our culture i know that but commit to something commit to some real people we encourage you, visit a few MCs, but then find a group of people, missional communities, find a group of people to commit to. And if you want help with that, fill out a Connect card, visit our Connect table in the back. We've actually got four new missional communities starting in the next month. So it's a great time to connect. We've got information in the back about that. We would love to connect to you. It's a perfect time. Find a missional community. Find a church family to commit to. Here's the thing, it might not even be SOMA, and we understand that. Because we are definitely not for anyone. And if it's not us, we'd love to help you find another church community to, to connect with. But find a real community of real flesh and blood people to commit to. Because that's where the gospel becomes real in our lives. That's where it stops being just religious platitudes or theological concepts. That's where we truly begin to practice the way of Jesus together. Let me ask you, What if we started to look at all the relationships in our lives that way? What if we started to look at our marriages that way? What if we stopped loading our spouses down with impossible idealized expectations of what they should be? And what if we just loved the real flesh and blood spouse that Jesus has given us as he has loved us? What if we started looking at our friendships that way? What if we started looking at other people in our church or our missional communities that way? What if we stopped waiting around for people to live up to some impossible ideal and we just decided to love the real flesh and blood people who are around us? What if we realized that loving them is part of what it means to follow Jesus? That difficult person, that difficult relationship, that is not an accident. Jesus has brought that person into your life because he knows that that relationship is precisely what you need to become more like him. He has given that person to you as a way to experience full life, and he has given you to them as a way to make them more like Jesus. And I realize sometimes we wish God had a better return policy on his gifts, but the fact is that he doesn't. He doesn't because he knows precisely what we need, and he gives us what we need to make us fully human and fully alive. We love each other because God has loved us. We are a family motivated by the love of Christ. Second, we're a family ruled by the peace of Christ. Verse 15, "...and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Right, now, what does he mean by, by the peace of Christ? Uh, most of us tend to think that when, when, when we hear the word peace, he's talking about some kind of you know, peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, he's talking about some subjective experience of peace. But Paul here is not talking about subjective, a, a subjective feeling of peace. He is talking about objective peace. He is saying Jesus has objectively made peace for us. He has made peace between us and God and he has made peace between you and me and every other person who is a follower of Jesus. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. God has signed a peace treaty with us through the blood of Christ. And he has signed a peace treaty between us and between all others who are in Christ. That reality That peace, that reconciliation ought to rule our lives together. It should have the supreme authority in our life as the people of God. This is why you hear us talk so much about racial reconciliation here at SOMA. We're not talking about this thing because it's a trending hashtag. We're seeking racial reconciliation because this is something Jesus has died for. This is something that Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And it is something that he calls us into. It is something that he calls us to live out. It is part of becoming the truly human community that he created us to be. Look back a couple of verses. uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, You have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul says Jesus has demolished those old walls that used to separate us from one another on the basis of social class, on the basis of economic standing, on the basis of ethnic group. He has broken down those walls, and he has made us all one in Christ. He says that's what Jesus has done, so live that way live that way now let me ask you what if we live that way and i don't mean just in terms of cross cultural or cross ethnic group type friendships i mean what if we live that way in every single relationship in our lives how would that change the way that we approach conflict conflict with your spouse conflict with your friends conflict with another person here in this community Jesus died to reconcile us to one another. He has made us one. And so for me to attack my brother or sister in Christ is to attack myself. For me to turn my back on another brother or sister in Christ is for me to turn my back on myself. For me to avoid another brother or sister in Christ is to avoid something that Jesus is doing to make us a people who reflect him. We all know this. We all know conflict is part of life. It is part of relationships. You cannot be in a meaningful relationship with someone long-term and not experience conflict. But, But what if we saw conflict as something that God is using to make us more like Jesus? What if we saw healthy conflict as an opportunity to preserve the unity and the peace that Jesus has purchased for us? What if we saw it as an opportunity to practice the way of Jesus together? We're a family motivated by the love of Christ. We're a family ruled by the peace of Christ. Third, God is making us a family filled with the word of Christ. Verse 16, at the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but just, just to remind you, think all the way back to beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. How does God create? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks, and universes come into existence. God speaks and creates all things that is how god creates that's how god created in the beginning that's how god is recreating us that's how he is transforming us to make us like jesus that's how he recreates us into the fully human people and into the fully human community that he wants us to be he does it by speaking he does it through his word So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how do you do that? Look again, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We teach each other. We admonish each other. We encourage one another. And this is fascinating. Paul says one of the primary ways that we do this, we probably never think about this, one of the primary ways that we do this is through singing. Through singing. I mean, do you realize that? Do you realize that when we stand to sing on Sunday morning, we are not just singing to ourselves? And we're not even just singing to God, we are singing to one another. We are reminding each other who God is and who we are in light of that. That's part of what we're supposed to do in biblical community. We remind each other who God is and who we are. Because all day long, all week long, we are living in a fragmented world that is always trying to redefine us. Who am I really? Am I my job? Am I my income bracket? Am I my sexual orientation? Am I my family of origin? Am I my social media profile? And when we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we remind each other what is most true about us. We remind each other of the first few verses in Colossians 3, that I've been united to Christ, that I've been raised up with Christ, that my life is hidden with God in Christ, that one day I will be perfectly like Christ. We remind each other who we are and what we're becoming. In a few minutes, we're, we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns. It's an a old hymn called How Firm a Foundation. That's a hymn that God used to carry me through the darkest, most painful, most soul-shattering times in my life. It goes this way. It says, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not harm thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. I need to hear those words. I need to be reminded of that truth. And Some of you here today, you need to be reminded of that truth. Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never forsake you. You feel like you are walking through the fire right now. You feel like he is killing you, but he is using all of this to make you something beautiful. Now, Do you see how that works? We sing these songs, we sing these words, and we remind each other of the hope that we have in Christ. And that's not just something that happens on, at a Sunday gathering. That's something that should be happening throughout the week. Now, listen, I am not saying you need to call up your buddies and you need to sing to them over the phone because that might get weird really quick. But we should be encouraging one another, right? Like, I look around this room, I see guys in my discipleship group. This is one of the things that the guys in my discipleship group are amazing at. Someone shoots out a text asking for prayer or something that that they're working through, and immediately, guys respond with psalms, with scriptures, with song lyrics. The song that we just sang right before this, Highly Favored, Anointed, Filled with Your Power for the Glory of Jesus' Name. One of the guys shot that out to us and reminded us who we are in Christ. Reminding each other of the hope of the gospel. We're trying to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, not because we want to be some kind of super spiritual weirdos, but because we need it, because we need it, because we need the word of God, because we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of Christ because Jesus is our only hope. Do you know what Old Testament book the New Testament quotes more than any other? It's the book of Psalms. It's the book of Psalms. When when the writers of the New Testament want to teach good theology, when the writers of the New Testament want to teach people how to live out who they are in Christ, they go to the hymn book. Because the fact is that we learn our theology from the songs that we sing, and our lives are shaped by the songs that we sing. Christians have always been a singing people. So let me ask you as you sit here, does Jesus make your heart sing? Does the reality of his gospel make your heart sing? And it should. Singing is one of these ways that we practice the way of Jesus together because psalms and hymns and spiritual songs help to produce thankfulness in our hearts. Do you notice this? Look, just look at verses 15 through 17. Look how many times the word thanks occurs. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times in three verses. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. The Christian life is a life of holy joy. It is a life of heartfelt gratitude for God's amazing grace to us. It doesn't mean that there are never hard times. It doesn't mean that we walk around all happy, clappy all the time. It doesn't mean that we never mourn and we never lament or we never struggle. But even in the midst of those times, thankfulness should be the theme of our lives. And it should be the theme of our church. And yet, notice this, Paul doesn't just say, oh, you will be thankful. No, he says, be thankful. He commands it, and he commands it three times. Because thankfulness is not automatic. We have to be intentional about cultivating thankfulness in our own lives and in the lives of each other. I am not naturally a thankful person. I am very prone to self-pity. I am not a glass-half-full type person. I am not a glass half empty type person. I am a, the glass is shattered and it's all over the floor and I just cut my foot on it kind of person. Like that's my natural disposition. And sometimes I need help. Sometimes I need help to break that cycle of self-pity. Sometimes it's a guy in my discipleship group who texts me or who reminds me of the faithfulness of God. Sometimes it's singing the words of a great hymn or reciting a psalm. Listen, ingratitude, a lack of thankfulness will become a cancer that eats away at your soul. So let's help each other. Let's help each other become thankful people. We're a family motivated by the love of Christ. We're a family ruled by the peace of Christ. We're a family filled with the word of Christ. Finally, we are a family that reflects the glory of Christ. Verse 17, whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the ancient world, a person's name was a way of referring to their character. And so when Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, he is saying, do everything according to the character of Jesus. Practice the way of Jesus together. The character of Jesus should be the defining reality of our life together. His compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, his peace, his love. And when we do that, we make the beauty and the glory of Jesus known to the world. Do you realize this is actually one of the best ways that we can serve the world around us? It's one of the best ways that we can serve our city, that we can love our city. By loving each other well. So we say around here, we practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. Listen to how Leslie Newbigin puts it. This is what he says. He says, I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life. So in other words, if you want to change the world, if you want to, to have a, a positive impact on the world around us, what is the primary reality? It is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel, in other words, the only way the gospel will make sense in the world, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. It is really popular these days to talk about the vision for the church. What's our vision? What's our vision for Soma? This is it. And more importantly, I think this is Jesus' vision for Soma Church. A group of people who love one another as he has loved them. A group of people who are so defined by Calvary love that the world looks at us and says, if those people who follow Jesus love each other like that, then there must be something amazing about this guy named Jesus. And let's be that kind of people. Let's be the kind of people that he is creating us to be. A family motivated by the love of Christ. A family ruled by the peace of Christ. A family filled with the word of Christ. A family that reflects the glory of Christ. In a couple minutes, we're, we're going to move to communion. But before we do that, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to take inventory of your life. Take inventory of your relationships. Does the love and the peace and the word and the glory of Jesus rule my life? Is it the defining reality in my relationships? Maybe it's not. And maybe you just need to be honest about that. Maybe you need to be honest and confess that to God. Maybe you need to be honest and confess that to your spouse or to your roommate or to your kids. Maybe you need to forgive someone as Christ has forgiven you. Maybe you just simply need to get, to get plugged into a community. We're going to come in and we're going to take this bread and we're going to take this cup. But This bread and this cup is a reminder of Jesus' love for us. But it is also a reminder of the fact that we are called to love one another. It's a visible expression of the fact that we are united in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. He says, because there is one bread. So in a few minutes, we're going to come we're going to take pieces off this one bread. This is a visual reminder of this fact. There is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The body and the blood of Jesus has not just made us united with God. It has made us one. It has united us with one another. And so as we come to it, you need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, what is keeping me from living the life and community that God has designed me for? For some of us, it's it's just our schedule. Our calendar doesn't reflect the fact that God is reforming us, is making us like Jesus in the context of community. For some of us, it's shame. It's fear. We're terrified. I might not be good enough. If I get into a relationship with these people, they might see who I really am. And I don't want to really let people know who I am. Let me just say this. You don't have to be good enough. None of us are good enough. But Jesus has taken away our shame. He has taken away our guilt. We are all of us. We're a community of beggars seeking bread. So, so, so we come to one another not with pretense, And we come into community not pretending that we have everything together, but because we're all desperate for Jesus. For some of us, it's bitterness. We're refusing to forgive someone as God has forgiven us. For some of us, it's very real, very deep, very painful hurt that we've experienced in our past. And this is a real thing for many of us, and I don't want to minimize this at all. Many of us have been hurt deeply by Christian communities. Many of us have been hurt deeply by the church. But let me push on you a little bit. Saying, I'm not going to commit to God's people because I got hurt is like saying, I'm never going to eat again because I got food poisoning once. Now, food poisoning is miserable. And you should be careful to avoid it. You should avoid it as much as you possibly can. But here's the thing. If you stop eating, you will starve. And it's the same thing here. It is awful when you have been hurt by the church. And you should be careful. And you should do your homework and you should make sure that this community is not a toxic, destructive community. But don't cut yourself off from God's people because if you do, in the end, you will end up starving your soul. So as we go to communion, let me just invite you, let, let's examine ourselves. Confess if you need to confess. Forgive if you need to forgive. Reconcile if you need to, re- if, need to reconcile. And then come and be reminded that Jesus has made peace. He has reconciled us to God through his life, death, and resurrection, and he has reconciled us to one another. So come and eat and drink and celebrate that fact. The way that we do that, we have stations at the front. We'll have stations in the gallery in the back. We simply come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and take it and return to our seats and maybe you're here today and you're not this isn't true for you you're not trusting in Jesus death and resurrection to make you right with God and we just invite you to remain in your seat while others come to take the bread and the cup not because we think we're any better than you or anything like that but simply because we just don't want you to feel pressure to do a perfunctory religious thing this meal is a reminder that we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to one another and so if you haven't experienced that, if you got questions about that, if you want to explore that, we would love to speak with you after the service. And so let's pray and then let's be reminded through his body and blood. Jude, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. Thank you that, that you've poured out your grace on us, chosen and holy and beloved. Thank you that Christ is so compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient with us. We thank you that, that you've made peace with us through the blood of your Son. We thank you that you've made peace not only with us, but you've made peace between us. We thank you for your love. God, we pray that your love would be the defining reality of our lives, that it would be the defining reality of our community together. We pray that the body and the blood of Jesus would frame the way that we think about every moment of our lives, would frame the way that we think about every person who is your son, who is your daughter. Thank you for the body of Christ broken for us. Thank you for his blood shed for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.